countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I'm in a wonderful, committed relationship, but there was a cosplayer girl here yesterday that was fabulous. Well, don't record this. Good no, you it's can. Not. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I'm already okay. started recording again. Uh, <laughs> hey, welcome back to The Last Comic Shop. I'm the host of most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Smith, and this other guy, Mikey Wood. Oh, oh, some special guests. Special guests. Not that guy. Helping us out. Why not? You not know well. what? I like you. Thanks, man. And I'm glad you're here. I'm fond of you guys. <laughs> well, we are here at the Three Rivers Con, and we've spent the whole day talking to great people that make comics. You know, make yes. great comics, whether it's uh, people like Howard Chaikin or Pat Olive, whose name I learned to pronounce. Yeah, it's oh, kind of like it's like yeah. Olive, except you just oh, with the S for so long. Yeah, I asked him specifically. See, even you, this comic genius, are learning something today. Is he from Olioptics, or is that a different Olive? <laughs> no, that's something else. That I is think. that's a letterer. Steve Olive, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. I well, they're related. Okay. Yeah, Rick Leonardi. We talked to the great Ron. Friends, yes. who is one of my definitive Spider-Man artists. We are friends with Ron friend. Friends. Oh, he's not going to like that pun. Yeah. He's not. He's going to hate Brett it. Breeding, who also was uh, interrupting Ron Friends with his evil dagger eyes. <laughs> it was awesome. This place cool. It was. It's been a... It, I, Matt Horak. We, we got to meet... He ends up being awesome. I did not know that he got into comic books. As you'll find out... He, he got in because he made mini-comics of Thunder the Barbarian. And he would take them to cons and be like, you like this? And eventually Rob Liefeld, your boy, was like, I love this. I love <laughs> we some Rob Liefeld. He worked he, for me. Say what you will about him. He okay. is an advocate for comic books. <laughs> <laughs> when do I begin? No, <laughs> no, no. Be nice. Did, be you, nice. did you read Covenant? That's what he worked on. No. <laughs> that was the Jesus book, right? Or the religious one. I think I don't know so. It was something like that. He said it was like no, man. knights I, you know and what? swords and sorcery and, and Bibles. You may not, I actually, I you think not, I do have an issue with that. Okay. Well, like, you may not dig somebody's stuff, but if they have a passion for the medium, then that's something. That's I mean, that's important. That's that's something to, 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 to be uh, respectful of and, and, and to appreciate. So that's cool. Heck yeah. And that's, yeah. speaking of that, that's what this show, Three Rivers Comic Con, is all about. That's what our show, The Last Comic Shop Podcast, is all about. Yeah? Is, you know, respecting comic books and how cool they are and what it takes to... Uh, you know, make them, and then we get to come to places like this and meet all these great creators, uh, pick up all these great deals, complete my spectacular Spider-Man collection. Almost, I need to go and shake down that one guy for that last issue. That, that cloak and dagger. The cloak and dagger one. Yeah, the yeah. cloak and dagger one. <laughs> How much did you want it for? More than I'm willing to spend. <laughs> but he told me to come back and make him a dumb offer. Uh, make me an offer I can't yeah. refuse. Uh, you know, you know, not 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 everything is for everyone. But one of these shows, if you're into comics, you will find. Something. Yes. You know, the difference between these kind of shows, what's cool is, and, and the difference between your podcast and the Three Rivers Comic Con. Well, first of all, there are three rivers. Some Comic Cons have one river, but we have three. Right. So, it's actually, we're one less than the four yeah, river. No, con. but it's specifically <laughs> comics. Uh, the nature of Comic Cons has actually changed very much in the past 20 years. They've become much more of like pop culture things. Right. Like, you know, Star Wars cast members or, you know, Dexter cast members or. You know, Eddie Munster or something. <laughs> which, you know, which, Eddie Munster, that's, I'm glad that's where you went to. He's very we're, nice. We're, we're, but, yeah, exactly. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very which, friendly. Which Patrick, but... But there are elements of that stuff here, but it doesn't overtake right. the whole thing. Right, right. This we have comics. the 501st. I mean, with, again, comics is a carnival industry. It's a carny industry, right? It really is. It sure it, is. It, it sure is. It came from, it comes from its roots in the 1920s, 30s. It was supposed to be, it was looked at as low, something was low class originally, right? That's right. And it was only for people between the ages of 8 and 16. That's right. And somehow, everybody now takes it seriously. Well, comics yeah, got sure. sexy. Comics got sexy at some point. Well, I mean, of course, it's because of the movie industry. It got very popular. Mm -hmm. Being a nerd, like, it's... I kind of miss when I was beat up in high school because of comics. <laughs> I kind of miss that. Because at least I was part of a small but dedicated group of Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. You're the only one in the world who's ever said that. I know. <laughs> I, well, you know, I do have my thing. But anyway, <laughs> we all have our kinks. Don't kick shame here. Walk out judgment. 
TV. But, it was, but, but, but Chad's commented on that before, that back in the day, when you saw somebody yeah. walking around in a comic book T-shirt, you immediately felt kinship with them. You were like, you, sir, I need to be friends with because there's not any other people out there like this. Right, <laughs> right? You used to yeah. say that. You were like, those well, were my friends. Right. Whether you like the character or not, you'd be like, oh, that Punisher shirt. I don't like the Punisher, but that shirt's cool. Let's be friends. <laughs> I bet you read other books. What else do you read? Yeah. The, the, the downside to this, though, is that a lot of us who were in that small but dedicated and also scared, <laughs> scared. Fan, fan base back in the 80s and 70s or whatever, however old you were, sometimes you turn into a bit, something we don't, but sometimes people can grow up into like gatekeeping people. Right. Who they, they held it so precious that when they see other people coming from other forms of medium, they feel like either the companies have sold out or these aren't quote unquote true fans, but yeah, they are. Yeah. They're just fans in a different yeah. manner of, uh, that, that came to, I came to my comic book experience through my grandfather who wasn't into comic books but ran a newsstand in Newark, New Jersey. Right. He hated comics. <laughs> but Turn I read, off but, those but, covers. But, you know, my, my parents hated me and sent me off to live with him for, for summers. <laughs> and I would work with him. And that's where I read comics. Other people come through them from different routes. And we have to respect the fact that the destination is the same destination. Right. It is a huge tent. It is a if you're talking about it being a carnival, it is a huge tent, which makes up all different kinds. And, and, and again... It does frustrate me when folks gatekeep in one way or the other. I, I, right. I just don't. If you really do love comics, right, you can't take them with you. If you want people to actually enjoy them after you're gone, then you have to get kids into comics. You got to get kids into comics. You got to get other people into comics because otherwise they're just watching the shows or watching. And, and then there's no. I mean, yeah, people say that comic books now are becoming uh, R&D. For the next TV show or the sure. next, they but you still that too. you still need that. You still need R and D, right? Yeah. My funeral pyre is going to be built of long boxes, so I am taking them with me because I'll be damned if anybody's going to live. This is going to be a heavy boat. This is going to be a heavy boat. It is. But it's the good news is it will burn gonna, very quickly, Viking style. That's right. It will burn very quickly. All that that's, paper. Yeah. That's right. You do realize some reeds don't light on tar. That's true. They don't. They just contain it. Some reeds. Long metal tubes filled with semen. You're going to cut that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but any case, uh, so yeah, we've had a great time at the great the, the Three Rivers Con. On the rest of this show, you're going to hear a lot of great interviews that we did. But one thing that we wanted to talk about was what was your what was your favorite pickup thus far? I know you talked about Spectacular Spider-Man. I mean, I'm going to talk about the fact that I finished wrong. I finished wrong at this show. Not only that, but I got ROM number one for 10 bucks. Nice. For a 10. For yeah. a tenner. And that is right. one of my favorite parts about the cons is you bring all these retailers together and you could really shake them down. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like eBay. Right. They're seeing all the competition out there. Oh my God, eBay, where they say or best offer and they don't accept that. No. They had no intention of accepting best offer. Right. My dad always told me that when you go out on a date, you're going to wonder if you're going to get laid that night, and the girl already knows, right? And <laughs> yeah. that's true, and you should respect that. That's what that's what or best offer is. I they think... don't have any intention. Yeah, I didn't know where that was offer. going. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's it was... fine. You'll cut that as that's well. A, that's a left turn. No, no. This is all staying in. The no, this is a turf. This Mikey. is a live. This is a live show. Like oh, this is good. this is live. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> So, yeah, Rom, you finished Rom. I did finish Rom, and I started get? some other stuff. Oh, what did you start? I started Machine Man. I kept on talking to everybody about it, and I'm like, you should read this Machine Man. It's so good. Aaron Stack. And so I was just like, I, I, I believe my own hype. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. Do you realize, like, seriously, this is just me talking comics, but everybody should read it because Steve Ditko came in after Jack Kirby didn't know where he wanted to go with that series. Yeah. And he comes in and he works with Tom DeFalco. And he immediately puts Aaron Stack, who's a robot, in a three piece purple suit and sends him to work at an insurance company. Because you got a robot working at an insurance company. That's accurate. They're just trying to sell, you know, uh, insurance to human beings. And um, immediately it goes back to the Silver Age. It's just a Silver Age book in the middle of the 80s. Mm. And it's so fascinating. If you take outside of like. Wow. It's like a time capsule. See, I'm only familiar with them through Windsor Smith and then through Next Wave. Right. Next there, Wave. Now, was it Next Wave? Yes. Wave. Yes. That book was Agents of Hate. But I, it's like Shakespeare, best. but with lots more punching. <laughs> so good. 
so good. But that's what I told you. I, I, you have to read that because all the characters from the uh, Machine Man 2020 series uh, yeah. come from that Steve Gitt because Tom DeFalco worked and on that too. Super important note. Do you still need issue 10? I do! Because there's a guy right before the door there's a guy, there's a guy there's... that has a little box labeled comics. It's very unassuming. <laughs> I'm swooping through. He has issue 10 in there. I don't know if he had it. Okay. Oh. Well, good. It's still there. But that's the kind of stuff you can find at this show. You want to come that's to right. a place like this and all of a sudden start your Machine Man collection? Yeah. You, know, you should. You can shake them down for issue 1 and then you can find the other guys that's that right. have been the, the cheapo bins. Yeah, we were talking about US 1. I'm sure you can find issues out there. That's, I was going to say, the, the gem of this show is I found out that Ron Friends helped co-create uh, Super Pro. No! Yeah, that's true. I can talk to him. So super and pro. he speaks of it with pride. He does? And, and I would, too. It's a very interesting outfit, and it incorporates all of the great aspects of both pro and, football and comic bookery. And as much as I would love to tease, nine-year-old me bought an issue of Super Pro. Yes. And so yeah, no, I did there too. There is no room for judgment. Right. Wow. I'm not sure uh, how much like audience uh, speaking was, but as far as trying to keep track of issues, um, I forgot before coming to this convention which issue of Paper Girls that I don't have. Okay. And for the past two days, I've been trying to instruct my partner where to look. I think it might be the last issue. Yeah. We're not holding the issue right now. Okay, do we know if we have issue 10? I don't even know what to look for, but I know I'm missing uh, one thing in that right yeah. I, I, I got a I got an issue, of the, uh, the first issue of uh, Howard Chaykin's Black Kiss, and I wanted my wife to get it. I don't want her to open it. And <laughs> I love it. Right. But, but I, you don't want her to look at it. It's a very grown-up. We'll say it's a very grown-up It's a book. very mature very, book. Very mature book. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Not that, like the Howard Chagan work he did with the WWE, which was for eight-year-olds. Yeah. yeah. Which is, that was a great That I mean, was a great, great conversation. That, for me, this con for me has basically been a two-day meeting with Howard Victor Chagan. <laughs> yes. And that's all I've spent my time doing is talking to that man. Uh, I'm sure, and actually, he hasn't thus far said he's sick of me yet. <laughs> So he already situational kind. Yeah, he's very you. polite. He already treats me better than any of my family members. Ever did. <laughs> so, so like that has been. I mean, it's eye opening. Like we just sat in on this panel an hour ago before we started. Incredible. And so my favorite piece that I I got a a head sketch from him of of Janusz Krahaska or the or Blackhawk. Okay. That I'm going to put into my Blackhawk omnibus that I had library bound on my own, which he was very impressed with. Okay. And it's just like. You know the stories where they say never meet your heroes because right. they disappoint you? That is not accurate with Howard Chaykin. Okay. He's everything you expect him to be if you've ever read interviews with him or read any of his books. And that is that is another experience of Comic-Cons that is wonderful, is being able to meet these people whose work means so much to you and to be able to, to tell them that. And generally speaking, unless you're Adam Hughes or James Obar, you're happy to hear it. <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they are happy to hear it. <laughs> well, yeah, the fact of the matter is, comic books, it is that kind of industry where I think people are grateful when the fans come out. And I've, it's, I've never had a negative experience with any of the comics pros. Yeah. They're all genuine people. And it's just so great to come and meet the people that, you know, oh, that guy killed Superman. Yeah. Oh, that guy helped put Spider-Man in the black suit. Like, and they're all just here. They're just regular people, yeah. regular folks hanging out. Yeah. And happy to have conversations and it, about it. And it's always funny to talk to, the, to these creators because most of the time we see it as something groundbreaking and important to us. That, and every issue we've ever read means something to us. And we know what comic we bought, when we were, where, and what. Right. right. But to them, the twinkle. The yeah, twinkle. Like, to them, it's a gig. Yeah, you it's know, that paycheck they got on they're, yeah, March they're working 17th. Pay, but if you ask them what got them into it, they turn into us. Right. And they tell us what their favorite, you know, the first time they saw a Wally Wood piece or the first time they saw, it may not even be a comic necessarily. Like, like or, or, I mean, some of these guys, their first experience with comics were like golden age books. Yeah. Well, it, 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 again, I, I mention it all the time. There's a twinkle in your eye when you start thinking about the comics that you grew up as a kid. And that's why I always ask. And you'll see it on some of these interviews that we did here today. Well, not see it, but you'll hear it. Well, it's <laughs> this is a podcast. So. <laughs> it's true. I have a face Well, why don't, why don't radio. We, we actually do have a bit of an audience. So audience participation. Let's say what we'll start here. What was the what? first comic you remember reading? First one. Probably Superman. I'm more into horror and... You know. Sure. Right. Like you see stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but still, there was something. 
right? It was a, and then, it was I like a, your hat, it, by the way. It says suits on it. That's good. <laughs> I got that here, actually. That's super uh, cool. As soon as I thought I had to have it. Probably between that and Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Cool. How about you? Ooh, Do you remember? That my, uh, I have it literally right over there. Uh, that, that 2099, uh, Spider-Man 2099 that I got. For nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's beat to crap. It was in my toy box. Right. Years. Yeah. yeah. Mine too. It yeah. has all the spine ticks and oh, it's definitely. It's so good. Yeah. And CGC would never grade that thing, but that no, doesn't no, no. make it any but less like, lovable. Every mark in there was put in by you somehow or another, and it's yours. Like yeah. like for me, I, like I read Archie's and, and, and shit. Like I said, my grand my my grandpa's thing. I would read Archie, Little Red Hot, and like uh, Richie Rich. But the one that that changed the way I looked at things, funnily enough, was. A Batman special, Batman special number one with art by Michael Golden. Uh, the yeah, first and up to a while, the only appearance of the Wrath, but I think he's been back. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. What was yours? Well, I mean, you know, I, I always tell the story about how I have this, this frame in my wall, which is a reprint of the first uh, appearance of the Lizard, mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man fighting the Lizard. But believe it or not, I had a moment yesterday where I remembered that I got into comic books even before that issue, mm-hmm. and that's because I went to a dealer. And he had the small digest the pocket books. pocket books that were released in the 70s. My older brother had one of these. And it was like the first six issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And I remember being three, maybe four years old. And my brother was like 10 years my senior. So if there was a thunderstorm, I'm running and I'm going to sleep in my brother's room. Because like, I, I, I'm four years old and... I don't want to, you know, and, and he would always be accommodating. He'd be like, all right. Uh, and so he would always have it by his nightstand. And so here I am in thunderstorms wanting some reassurance. He had a flashlight by his bed. I pick it up and I just start looking at the pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. With the, and I fall asleep. I'm at calm. I'm at peace. With my, you know, with my yeah. universe. And, I, and so I found it for $12 and I picked it up and immediately flooded back to me. And that's all that child, that twinkle right. that I talk about. That, and they sell, and that's what these comic cons sell nostalgia. There's nothing at all wrong with people. Some no, people, yeah. some people have say that nostalgia is bad. Like I had an Empire Strikes Back digest of those. Now yeah. I just remembered that. So, so what's yours? Chad? Yeah, what's what is first? yours, Chad? So for me, I don't know. I, I go back. I, I had a handful of comics before the Batman movie came out, but that's really whenever I decided. All right, I'm going into comic books. I traded all my baseball cards away. I was like, all right, these. Not only can I collect them, but they also have pictures inside that I can draw. But once that happened, I had a cousin who was like, oh, you like comics? Take these. And he just, like, threw a bunch of amazing Spider-Mans at me. And they were some of the Gil Kane, Ross Andrew, Jerry Conway, amazing mm. Spider-Man issues. They were some of the best comics around. There's some that you can see on the dealer's walls with the, the $100, $150 price tags on wow. them now. But uh, I was able to cut my teeth on some of the best Spider-Man comics. In addition, that was the time that the Todd McFarlane era of Spider-Man, like Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, those issues were coming out. So I had those, I had the Norm Brayfogle uh, Batmans, the Jim Aparo Batmans, and so like, I I was able to get the best of both worlds. I was able to get the cool modern stuff, I was able to get the cool classic stuff, and the stuff that tied into the big movies that everybody was talking about. That's when I was like, no, this is it for me. This is like, baseball <laughs> cards, are, they were fun to like, you open up the pack, and like, oh, there's the excitement. Yeah, here's but, my Ken Griffey Jr. card, yeah! But then it was over. With the yeah. comic books, I could go back to those again and again, and, you know, I learned to love drawing the pictures, and I loved the stories, and it was just, there was so much more value there, and yeah. uh, it, it just never stopped. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the rest of this show. Right after this commercial break, we'll be back with our first interview of the program. It's going to be a great interview with Matt Horak, followed by another interview with Ron Friends, who we talked about. So make sure you tune in more to The Last Comic Shop right after these commercial breaks. And thank you, Three Rivers Con, for having us. Yahoo! Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries asleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. 
Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies and digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, we're here at the Three Rivers Con with Matt Horak. So, uh, Matt, how's the show been treating you? Pretty good. Enjoying yeah. myself. Drawing so, some pictures. What are, you, what are you drawing at the moment here? Drawing Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. From, from I think, what, early, mid, mid, mid to early 80s? Yeah, probably. I never read it. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, is there a date on here? Oh, no. I, oh 85. 85. Yeah, it's still 75 cents. So that was yeah. when you could pick up a comic book for under a buck. I remember those days. That's probably when I started going to the comic shop on my own. Yeah around then and that's what we like to try to talk to when you when it comes to creators and where, where it kind of came from in terms of your love for comic books so uh, where did your particular love of comic books kind of sprout from well I always loved comic strips and the paper and I love Tintin I got into Tintin comics oh, when I was really young very nice and um, and then from there just you know picking them up at the Lawson's on the corner and uh, and then comic stores and just kind of went in full bore. Do you remember what the first Tintin story that really captured your eye was? I think my, my grandma had them. I had cousins who lived in Canada. I think that's where they came from. Okay. And um, they were at my grandma's house and it was like the crab with the golden claws. That, yes. That arc or whatever. Right. Uh, with uh, what, Secret of the Unicorn mm-hmm. and then into Red Rackham's mm-hmm. Treasure. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that is a great... In Red Rackham, you get Tintin riding in a little sub, and yep. it's a lot. It's a, it's a that is a good story arc. Um, yeah. But um, so from there, as as your comic books grew, was there a particular artist that you kind of really latched onto, or a couple artists that you really latched onto, and said, as your style progressed, maybe you were like, I kind of like that. Like yeah. I know everybody's individual style comes from somewhere, and there's mm-hmm. influences. What were your influences? Um, Probably Art Adams, Mike Mignola, and Michael Golden. Okay. Are my three like favorites, I guess. Have you ever got to meet any of them? I have met all. Okay. Yeah, actually, yeah. I just did Fan Expo Cleveland with Michael Golden. Okay. Um, I forget where I met Art Adams, but I had a little mini comic I did. Okay. And I, you know, went and met him, and I said, you know, I've always loved your work. I want to just, I want to give you this. And he's like, oh, great. Here, I'll trade you one of my sketchbooks. And he gave me one of his sketchbooks. Wow. <laughs> Like, okay, which is really cool. So. Very cool. Yeah, no, that is that is awesome that you got a sketchbook from one of your 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 heroes yeah. in the industry. In trade. Yes. For my little photocopy thing. Well, still, you gotta. I know. Well, that's. I mean, that. That's, that's the great thing guy. about the industry. Like Absolutely. people like to trade art, and you know, if they if they dig your stuff, they'll give you some stuff in return. And so that's, I guess, the next question. As you're as you're growing as an artist, where did you first really? Would you say got your your feet wet in the industry? Like, what, where do you think? Like, for those people maybe listening that are, you know, maybe younger, trying to say, like, I want to break into comics. How did you kind of break into the comic book uh, industry? Well, I. I was trying to do it for years, you know, back before the internet, going to conventions, showing my stuff to anyone who will look at it, getting feedback, learning how to do, draw comics. Okay. And so I was doing sample scripts and trying to do my own comics and stuff and kind of getting frustrated and, you know, years and years go on and I ended up becoming friends with P. Craig Russell, who lives in Kent, Ohio. I'm from Akron. Okay. They're right next to each other. And... So I was talking to him about that, my frustration with it, and he said, well, why don't you adapt something? So I transcribed an episode of Thundar the Barbarian. The oh, cartoon. nice! 
Ares and uh, with Ookla. <laughs> yeah, Ookla the Mock and, and uh, Ariel, Princess Ariel, and uh, uh, transcribed an episode and made a comic out of it and made little mini comics. Okay. And just gave them to everybody at shows. Right. And I just, you know, I did six, eight pages at a time, so I'd have a new one every time I did another show. Right. And eventually, you know, people started to remember me because it was a great thing. They would go, oh, Fundar, instead of going, thanks. And, you know, yeah, no, yeah. And eventually, Rob Liefeld, uh, I got in touch with him and he liked it. And uh, I did a book called Covenant with him. Okay, yeah. For, for Image, which was a sword and sorcery Bible epic. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that was my first job, showing I could do the job, and then I uh, eventually met other editors, and then Marvel gave me some yeah. stuff. Yeah. And since then, just working well, on it. Well, it was a great idea, kind of adapting Thundar. And, and I love the idea of you adapting Thundar in mini-comics, because yeah. Thundar is such a yeah, yeah. kind of like a, a He-Man kind of clone. They yeah. came out around the same time. But you're, but it's a great series, because a lot, a lot of people know that uh, Jack Kirby did a lot of the designs, yep. and he worked with Steve Gerber on the Thunder. Mm -hmm. So that has a lot of pedigree in yep. terms of people that know comics. They're like, yeah, no, that was something that you should be. So that was a great idea. So if you're out there... Take it from Matt Horak. Maybe try adapting something that, you know, maybe an even mini-comic form because it's very digestible, 10 to 12 pages, and it's very easy to draw. Yeah, and now you could just put it online. There's lots of artists who have broken in nowadays yes. by doing their own fan comics and eventually, you know, catching if it's good enough, somebody, yeah. somebody will give you a job. Well, the one that I wanted to talk about, because it's one we covered on the last comic shop just a couple weeks ago, is Norse mythology. You mentioned... Your, uh, your friendship with Pete Craig Russell. I'm, I'm guessing that's how you might have got on the book or, or maybe something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. He had, you know, he was, for those that don't know, Craig adapts the, the prose and then other artists come in and do the finishes. Right. So when he was gathering artists for it, he put my name up for it. Okay. I assume fought for me. <laughs> Well, it's um, you do wonderful work in that book. It, was it was it intimidating at all to work with you know, P. Craig Russell on one of these, these books and and you know knowing that it's Neil Gaiman and it's going to get a lot of out a lot of eyes on that just because of Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell's name in the industry was was it intimidating at all or, or were you like nope nope this is just another job for me? <laughs> no, it was very intimidating. And uh, then the pandemic happened in the midst of me doing it. Too. Right. So that kind of threw it for a loop and actually went, maybe worked in my favor because I got a lot more time to yes. work on it and kind of could settle into it and figure out what I wanted to do with it because I used some washes, which I don't always do. Right. Well, what did you think of when you were doing that book and the fact that, like, you know, again, a lot of Norse mythology characters, you don't see them really outside of comic books, but you see them a lot in comic books. Yeah, yeah. You don't have you just have to look at, at Marvel and you know the things that they've done over the years. And and you know, again with Tales of Asgard, uh, Jack Kirby adapted a lot right. of the same stories that are in Norse mythology. Mm. How did you feel like about like kind of making your art look a bit a little bit different from you know the stuff that's already been out there with some of these classic characters mm -hmm. that you might have seen other places? It was fun, you know. They're they're. It, it, it's a little challenging to put your own stamp on it, but at the same time, that you want them to read as those characters. And Craig had done some really good designs for stuff, and I got to design a couple characters. Which ones did you get designed? Uh, the two dwarves, Fjallar and um, Galler or something. I can't even remember, and that's not even how you pronounce it. Right. <laughs> but uh, my well, listeners know because they probably yeah. listened to that episode. Go listen to which I listened to the Neil. Gaiman reads the uh, audiobook. Okay. Norse mythology. So he he has all the pronunciations in there. Wow. So that was interesting to be able to listen to the chapter I was drawing while I was drawing it. Very it cool. Kind of cool. Well, uh, what 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 projects do you have coming around the bend that you might want to plug for those people listening to the podcast? Well, I recently did some Infinity comics, the scrolling comics for Marvel's uh, for the Unlimited app. Okay. Juggernaut Deadpool in X-Men Unlimited and a couple Spider-Bot strips. So those are fairly recent. Those are out there if you have the app. And then I'm doing some stuff with Marvel Scholastic right now. Oh, very nice. That I don't, I don't know that I'm supposed to talk about. So. <laughs> well, I will say this. One of the things we, uh, we really do promote here on The Last Comic Shop is trying to get young kids interested in comics. That's why we do our Panel Pals section of the show. So again... Uh, you teaming up with Scholastic, that's great stuff. Like, yeah. that's, you know, so make sure that you're, if you're you're out there, parents, 
and you see Matt Horak on, on some of those Marvel Scholastic books, make sure you pick him up because he's a fantastic artist. And thank you so much for taking some time to talk with The Last Comic Shop today, Matt. We love your stuff, and again, we'll see you in the funny pages. Thank you. Thank you. Three Rivers Con with uh, Ron Fred. Really the voice you're going to use? Yeah, the that's the oh whole time. God. Sounds like somebody's grabbing you. <laughs> it's the voice he has. It is. It's the only one I got. I was born with a certain voice for radio. I have a face for radio, too. Radio and a voice for television. <laughs> that's All right. Anyway, sir, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk on The Last Comic Shop. The one thing that we always ask... How did you get into comic books? Were you a fan of comic books growing up? Like, do, do you remember, like, what was the comic book that really captured your imagination the first yes. time? Yes. Okay. What was uh, it? I have a brother three years older. Okay. And he and I have had this discussion a lot. The nearest we can figure, the earliest comic book we remember was a world's finest comic. Okay. From 1964. All right. With uh, Jimmy and Robin faking their own deaths and Batman and Superman standing in front of stone graves mourning them while they are in the background going <laughs> and I just recently re-bought a copy of it okay. to, to, re to, to uh, re-familiarize myself with did it hold yeah. up? thank you uh, no <laughs> um, they never managed the covers. The no, covers they just had such yeah, problems. The memories are so much better sometimes. Kurt, Kurt Swan did the cover, man. It, it, I think he did the insides too. But anyway, no, that's that may be a bit apocryphal, but that's what my brother and I have kind of, that's become common knowledge for us, is that it was somewhere around there. But everything changed for me. We were big Batman fans, you know, the Batman TV series. Right. George Reeves TV series. Uh, all the car the cartoons in the 60s, the filmation, Superman. Yes. Superman, Aquaman, Hour, right. Batman cartoons. Uh, that was but, supposed to go on a little bit longer. They were supposed to bring in, like, Wonder Woman and a lot of other, but then they canceled it, and then they, I guess, moved over to Hanna-Barbera. Super Friends, yeah. yeah. I, it, for me, though, everything changed when... I discovered not only the Spider-Man cartoon, yes. but I started trading with a friend of ours and got some Marvel Tales, some of the early Ditko stuff. Nice. And the first Spider-Man I bought off the racks would have been number 60 with uh, Kingpin swinging Spider-Man by his ankles by John ah. And I never looked back after that. I became a huge Spider-Man fanatic. Yes. And uh, if you ask seven-year-old Ron Friends what he wanted to do when he grew up, it was, I want to get big. I want to work for Marvel Comics, and I want to draw Spider-Man. Well, there you go. And, done uh, and done and, and done. And I, and I won the big last. I got big last. <laughs> but um, I mean, it was, it was, I was. Uh-oh. Brett Breeding's throwing bombs from the table next door. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> he's just hurtful. He's just hurtful. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was pretty directed. I mean, I, I took a, a, a commercial art course at okay. Oklahoma Tech the last two years of high school. Right. Uh, I won a scholarship, a half scholarship for a two-year course at the Art Institute and uh, paid for the rest with loans and grants. And I never lost my direction of wanting to do comics. Right. But I had a couple of really good instructors that made me realize, what if you don't get into comics? You should at least train yourself to do something else. Do something else. Yeah. What did, what, what, what did you think you might do if you didn't get into comics? Uh, some kind of graphic design, okay. storyboards. I mean, I ended up getting a job in an animation studio doing storyboards and in-betweening. Okay. Which, you know, made use of the same muscles, but is a very, very different mindset. Right. You know, yeah. the animation itself takes so long for so little yeah it was never really something that appealed to me because of my love for comics right and uh, I worked for the animation studio for I don't know a year or so when I finally got a call from Marvel and okay. that turned into freelance that I would only take if I could do it and keep my job at the studio okay but when they offered me six months worth of Spider-Man uh, filling in for John Romita Jr., I figured it was safe to leave the studio and I went full-time freelance and luckily never had reason to look back. I've had a couple of lean years right. between gigs, but but more than not, it's been uh, it's been a great, great ride. Yeah. yeah your Spider-Man work, your Thor work, your Spider-Girl, all of that is just fantastic. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that, like, 
You know, when I was growing up, you were one of my definitive Spider-Man artists because when I first got into comic books in the, in the mid-80s, it was right after Secret Wars, right. and you were drawing Black Suit Spider-Man. And to be honest, if it hadn't been for me having a VHS tape of the 60s Spider-Man cartoon, I would have not known that Spider-Man actually had a red and blue there costume. Because, and afterwards, I would look back and I'd see some Steve Ditko. You had such a Steve Ditko-esque right. Spider-Man. Yeah. But it was that, still modern for the 80s. Right. But it was, out. he was lanky. He was, he was, you could see the musculature. Like, oh, he, it was really what... I mean, again, like, John Romita bulked him up and made, made him, like, look a little more... But you... I just love the way that you drew Spider-Man, especially in that black suit. Now, I remember being in a con with you a couple years ago, and you were telling me the story about the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man with the black suit, with him coming down, and you were like, they weren't sure whether or not they wanted to keep the black suit or something? Oh, no. They, in fact, the editor-in-chief was very sure that he didn't want to because this was... I mean, you got to remember, this is the 80s, the mid-80s, before the internet, before email, before all that. The, when it was announced in the fan press that he was getting a new suit, they didn't show the suit. So everybody hated that idea, naturally, because... Well, the red and blue suit by Ditko is, is genius. Oh, I mean, it's, it's one, one of the, of the best, best in all of comics. Absolutely, absolutely. So everybody hated the idea of Spider-Man getting a new suit. So Jim Shooter called Tom DeFalco into his office, and he said, when's he getting the new suit in Amazing Spider-Man? So 252. Get rid of it, 253, because we're getting hammered. <laughs> and, and Tom made the argument, mostly logical, that he didn't get it until, like, issue 8 of Secret Wars. Right. And, you know, that was another eight months. He said, we at least have to hang on to it until he gets it in Secret War. Okay. And Shooter had to agree with that. Yeah, hey, have to so sell he, those toys. So I what mean. he said was, okay, you keep it until he gets it in Secret Wars and then dump it the next month. Okay. <laughs> now, in the meanwhile, in those intervening seven months, everybody saw the suit and loved it. Yeah, it turns out it was actually a really cool suit. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loved the suit. We were still always planning on bringing back the red and blue. Right. But Don, you know, Tom DeFalco came up with the idea that it was a symbiote. And yep. They got rid of it using Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four. Um, but at that point, all the mail was so positive that that's where the idea for making the cloth version yeah. and having him switch between them and everything, that's where all that came from because everybody loved the black suit once they saw it. Yeah. I mean, it is a gorgeous design. And, you know, eventually we got Venom, which... You know, and it, it just became natural that that, that look would eventually be still popular today. Yeah, well, and they, they still do back in black every once in a while. Yes. Oh, yeah, the symbiote. No, even if it's not the symbiote, they'll put him back in a black suit for one reason or another. He's really angry, so he yeah. goes and wears the black suit. <laughs> or Todd McFarlane. He's got to bust some heads. He's, uh, he, had, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed that yeah. morning. I mean, Somebody's Mick, mean to Aunt May. I mean, Michelini came up with the, uh, the whole Venom. Right. But that doesn't you know, happen it, without the groundwork you guys laid down. It does. Well, symbiote. it doesn't work without DeFalco deciding it was a symbiote. But, you know, uh, that was something that they had been building to for a while where, you know, there was a mystery of somebody pushed Pete in front of a subway train. Right, right. Because the, the spider sense didn't pick it up. Yeah, originally it was going to be a woman, yeah. Um, so there was a lot going on there. But, uh, you know, it gave us venom. So oh, what the heck? Yeah. yeah, but your career has given us a ton of wonderful stories. Is there anything that stands out for you personally that you're like, this is some of my best work? I'll tell you the truth. I, I everything I work on becomes personal once you get to know it. You know, oh, the sure. and I always discuss the character. Even Super Pro. Even Super Pro. <laughs> I, I will not apologize for NFL Super Pro. In fact, I got a pitch revamping, uh, you know, retooling Super Pro that I would love to uh, to tell, talk to the NFL about. Oh, I would love to see him fight those Fox robots. Because I cannot I cannot afford to license that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wish they were willing to publish their own book, you know. But anyway, uh, no, it, it is. It's one of those things. I So, the standout stuff are the things that, you know, I, 
co-created Thunderstrike right. and Eric Masterson, which, you know, so that was very personal. Oh, two years we did that book. The MC2 stuff was very close to me. Yes, uh, yeah. Tom was editing all of the all three of the MC2 books, so I was much more involved in the plotting of May Next than I was with some of the other projects. Okay. Uh, until, like, Spider-Girl and stuff. And then, so Spider-Girl itself. Anything you, that you have a real vested interest in co-creating. Right. You know, you want to see your kids do well and thrive and right. be popular and things like that. Well, those MC2 books, they were so great. Like, the fans just wouldn't let them, wouldn't, wouldn't let them go. Well, yeah. Spider-Girl especially, yeah. yeah uh, they were always predicting her demise and uh, she ended up going 14 years and change with all the different versions. And they still talk about her today, so that's where that's great goal is for them. Wouldn't be surprised to see her pop up in one of those Spider-Verses or whatnot. Right. I, I would love it. I would love it. I would love for Mayday to get some to get some uh, airtime. In fact, uh, I mean, there is there's a lot of talk. And it's all it's only talk. Yes. Spoiler alert, with Toby coming back in the last uh, in Far From Home, there's, you know, if there's interest in going in a Spider-Man 4 with Toby and Kirsten Dunst. Right. Oh, a Spider-Dad. Introducing Mayday would not be a bad idea. No, it would not. It would make a lot of sense. It would kind make of... for one heck of a movie, Sony. Yeah. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> and Toby looks good in a beard, too. So. Well, that was the one last question I had for you, because, again, you seems like you love Spider-Man. And um, I just wanted to, I guess, ask you, what was your favorite issue of Spider-Man that you drew? Like, that, that stood out, because you said that you got personal with all the books, but like, if Spider-Man's your favorite character and you always wanted to grow up through on Spider-Man, was there one you were like, yeah, that's the issue that like, boy, in, in I really deference, In deference to the other half of my brain, Todd DeFalco, one of them would be the kid who collects Spider-Man. Okay. Roger Stern. Yes, it was. That was, everybody was on fire that issue. And Terry right. Austin did a fantastic job. Bob Sharon did it. Christy Shield colored it, I believe. I was hoping you were going to say that and because that's what I'm. a terrific job. My favorites, uh, Joe too. Joe Rosen did a terrific job. Everybody was on fire in that issue. For single issues during the course of our run, I mean, you know, we did the Hobgoblin stuff, so that was a lot of fun. There was uh, an issue called Whatever Happened to Crusher Hogan. Okay, that I remember. That was my pitch to DeFalco, and uh, I was really, really pleased with how that came out, uh, just as a, as a character piece. And Tom is a great partner for that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, Anything that involves Pete. I mean, we just recently, there was a one-shot called uh, Spider-Man Self-Improvement mm -hmm. that went back to the roots of the black suit and lead feature, but we did a 10-page backup story okay. called With No Power. And it was a, a character study of, of Pete and this other character. It's, uh, anytime we get a chance to visit with old friends, it's just it's great fun. Oh, so well, very good. Yeah, very good. I love. I do love the character, and I, I, I I've been very very fortunate. I am the luckiest guy on the planet. <laughs> I, I have no. I, I am. No defense for that. I've, I have been blessed. And final question, very serious question. Do you want to talk real quick before we go about the right project? Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was a crowdfunder that uh, DeFalco and I did through Apex Comics, and uh, it, it exists. The books are out there. There is still talk about getting some distribution to comic shops. Right okay. now, it's not available in comic shops, but it's a, it was a, a labor of love, a little dream project that the Falco and I put together with Sal Buscema and uh, Bob Sharon and Glenn Whitmore and Jack Morelli. And I, I, I wow. had the opportunity to kind of put together my dream team. That is a dream team. And we had a lot of fun with it. There are other stories out there to be told, but... Uh, whether they're distributed through Diamond or whether they're through crowdfunding is yet to be determined. Okay, well, we wish you nothing but continued success with that. I can't well, wait to see it. And right back at you, guys. All I right, hope, well, thank uh, you. Good luck with everything you do here. Oh, appreciate it. Have a great show, sir. You too. Thank you. All right, here's some more interviews. We've got a great interview with Howard Chaikin. So stay tuned for these right after these commercial breaks. 
was the three-legged dog of the comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they do in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole covers. C-A-T-A-P. They were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Critic was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, that's good. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, so we are sitting here with the eminent. the eminent Howard Victor taken. You know, just to get the fanboy crap out of the way. It's okay. Uh, I okay. know you also like work by guys for whom I have utter contempt, that's, so it's that's okay. That's true. <laughs> I'm bound to. Your uh, first issue of Shadow changed the way I was reading comics, which is cool. So, so that that's pretty okay. fantastic. So, what I wanted to ask you. Uh, your mentorship was done under the great Gil Kane. Among others, yes. Among others, right. But apparently you, you, you heard of the opening due to an unfortunate coronary that someone had? Okay, I'd like to hear. <laughs> Gil had a guy working for him who, whose work I've seen who was on his way to a real career. Uh, he, he looked sort of like, you know, like Woody stuff in a, in a Woody sort of way. And uh, he was 21 or 22, and he died in his sleep of an undiagnosed heart ailment. Oh my! And because uh, because children are callous and unfeeling, I called Gil up and said, "I hear your di- guy died. You need somebody." <laughs> so uh, I, he hired me, and I had no—I mean, I had no skill set. I mean, I was—I was his gopher, and even then, that was problematic because um, he was embarrassed by my physical appearance to deliver work because he felt that my delivering work to the office I would represent him badly because I had hair down I looked like every 18 year old kid in the late in late 60s I had uh, I had hair down on my shoulders I wore cowboy boots and I in blue jeans and work shirts I looked like a like like a faux proletarian you know or a, 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 a proletarian <laughs> so that now one of the things that we do on the last comic shop is that we talk about how everyone was brought into it and usually people were brought into comics by, by a comic that they experienced themselves so so you you had mentioned before that you were about four years old when you had your first experience. do you happen to recall by any chance that the one book that you saw that made you think to yourself that you wanted to do that not in the least not no. at all it was okay. a completely holistic experience okay it was more a matter of it was, there was a, a sense of it was a sensory response to this volume of shit. I mean, there was there were hundreds of books in this, and they, and they were they were literally dumped in there the way the way you dump into a dumpster. And I was sitting in, there, you know, it was like Scrooge McDuck in his vault. And, um, and no, it was just the the entire experience of, of that smell, the yeah. color. You know, some of them had covers torn off because they've been read so many times in the toilet by children. And um, it was just it. I mean, the the, the entire. The entire zeitgeist of the experience informed my, my, my future in this business yeah. in every way. Can I hop in and ask a question about Hey Kids Comics? What about it? So I'm curious. I know you're the type of person that doesn't mind uh, pissing people off from time to time. I had now and then. <laughs> but how was that perceived amongst your... like? You're one of the elder state, statesmen of comic books now. You've worked with some of the greats along the way as well as the young folks that have come up since then. Like, how? what was the reception in the comics industry for you from Hey Kids? Generally very positive. Um, I, I may, maybe because they weren't reading very closely. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, most of the people I discussed in the first volume are dead. Right. And, um, you know, and, and I don't really... A year and a half before I did the book, I put out a call for any anecdotes from people um, that might that might be fun to incorporate. And every one of them, annoyingly enough, turned out to be a settling of scores. And I actively did not want to be in the position of settling scores. That was not what I was seeking to do. And I had some guy accuse me of that very thing, and I, and I unfriended him immediately. Was you. That's not who I am. I settle scores face to face. I don't need to do it in print. Respect that. <laughs> and um, the second arc 
is, was, was a, a bit of a navigation experience because there, it refers to people, in many cases, avatars of people who are still, still alive or recently dead. And I haven't had any heat from anybody. And, and most of the people who've read the book, have, have, of, of my colleagues, have responded to it as a, a statement of some bitterness and truth. And, and I said more than once, some of it didn't happen, but it's all true. Right. You know, I mean, what I, I was not seeking to do a documentary. Rather, I was doing a Roman Eclef. I mean, it, there are obviously characters in the book who are direct avatars of other of real people. They're also, for the most part, conflations. You know, combining backstory of one guy with, a, with the front story of another, building a character who has no resemblance actually to the actual character, but is in every way. And that and that really played. I mean, for example, I'm working in the third volume right now, and at least one instance I'm combining a, a writer-artist team into a single person. Okay. Just because I don't have the room to address the hostility that existed between them, as well as the rea- the, the the result of their rela- of, of their working together relationship. In, in the context of a, of a larger narrative, so it's just it would, easier to. It would, to it, would, it, would, it would require. I, I don't. I don't really want to invest two, three, or five pages in that problem. Right. When I'm when I'm more interested in using the problem that ultimately evolved from their relationship as a part of the narrative arc. I will say, as a comic book fan, reading that first the first trade, it, it was homework for weeks for me. Just trying to Google. Who could have been involved there? And like, why would you bother? I, mean, I know why you'd bother. It's a rhetorical question because you because you're you're obsessed with getting dirt on people. <laughs> well, that too. But no, it's it's so great to hear some of these stories from the industry from people that have been in there. Even I though mean, look, look, nobody ever hung anybody out of a window. Okay, uh, that really? never that happened. Happen? I thought that was Alex oh. too. No. It, it never, it never happened. It probably should have. That's it. It is wishful thinking and it's aspirational. It never happened, but it had to be included because it is so intru- in, in exclusive and intrusively and, and desperately needed a part of the story that everybody knows that story, even though it's just not true. Right, and it's it's entrenched in the industry. It's exactly. been told for generations. So, are you going to deal more in like in the third volume? What's because I know you've hopped around from decade to decade. What's volume three going to? Volume three is about fandom. Okay. And about the concept of mania. Um, Welcome to the Comic Con. Yeah. Well, no, not really. I mean, because conventions show up in both the first two arcs. It's no more about. I open with it as with a with a general, you know, panel to panel discussion of the concept of mania. Okay. I, I had a, an actual liberal arts education, so I learned stuff in school. And uh, so there may be things here that nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I talk about the, the tulip frenzy of the Netherlands in 1634 to 1637. The, it was the first major financial bust, boom and bust, a bubble, when there, when tulip, tulip stems were going for the price of a house. I talk about the, the, the riots that took place in Astro Place between two competing company, uh, the fans of, of two competing productions of Macbeth. In the, in the 1830s, when deaths, when people were killed because there was an English version and an American version. And I was talking about, I talked about the Frank Sinatra craze, the, the Sinatraism, and about Hamilton, which I regard less as a theatrical phenomenon and more as a modern version of mania. That there are people out there who only 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 seen one musical in their lives, either Spamalot because they were Monty Python fans, or the Book of Mormon because they like South Park. Hamilton is a show for, for white people to feel better about themselves for 20 minutes after the show. And, um, They're so cultured now; they could say they listen to hip hop for two hours. And, and they yeah, also, yeah. And, 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 and it's also it's a white person friends. My daughter-in-law, who's not gone, is not a theater person at all, has seen it three times. She's never seen a production of Guys and Dolls, Oklahoma. You know, Carousel, My Fair, anything, anything of the canon, right? Okay, and 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 and, and this was reinforced a couple. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm digressing. <laughs> a couple of nights ago, when um, I watched a, 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 a documentary about Stephen Sondheim, and I watched Lin Manuel Miranda completely mischaracterize the intention and meaning of a song of Sondheim's from Company called Barcelona, mm. completely mischaracterizes its, its point. And I, and I don't know whether he was bullshitting or believe what he was saying. But it yeah. was just completely wrong. That's when that's when people start to prescribe how they feel about something as what that thing is, and that's not necessarily. And I'm, and I'm watching it, this yeah. with my wife, and, and she looked at me and says, "Really?" Yeah. <laughs> so now, now you mentioned uh, contemporaries of yours, like to, like I love Alex. So uh, Alex is not a contemporary. Well, he's, he's a Alex. Is my father's he's, age. He's, well, I mean, uh, he's dead. That, that's why he is dead. I, that, I, I used the the wrong the wrong you sure did or or, or well, Alex, Al, I, mean, I, I mean Alex is an influence I mean I'm I'm a 
the mind that United that being influenced by Alex Stoke doesn't mean drawing like Alex. Stoke. No, right, correct. You right. know, it's uh, storytelling. I mean, I mean, I, no, I, not even that. Yeah. I, I think it, it's the way he makes a picture. Yeah. I don't think Alex. I don't think Alex knew a story worth a shit. I mean, um, Alex like Alex had, had some of the most infantile understandings of narrative as anybody I've ever, ever known. There was a really good three vol. I don't know if you ever. I did the introduction. Oh well, yeah, and I, and I wrote the oh, review yeah. of it on Long, a Los Angeles review. Of I didn't see your review. Did you well, enjoy you them? Paying attention, I know. I read the. Well, did you enjoy them as they? I did. Presented I, I, his I, story. Well, yeah. I, 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 you, you want to read the review? I do. I do. I, I mean, do. the review starts out comparing <laughs> Alex to Orson Welles, mm-hmm. okay. and ends with comparing him to Phil Spector. Um, and, I, and I think the, the comparison to Spector is more apt. Because Spectre, like Alex, was able to, to, to infuse meaning and, and effect into what is basically treacle and junk. You know, Phil Spector's three and a half minute singles are teenage junk, but they are majestic in their beauty. And the same thing is true for what Alex is able to do with those six page romance stories and, and crime stories that he did for Standard. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. You know, yeah, I got into yeah. I got into it with a with an academic who was uh, who felt that Krigstein was a better artist, and, and that that he felt that that Torch tended to look like Hollywoodized sheet patina. And I said that, that, that the two things are very different, and, and that Krigstein Krigstein was a was an intellectual who saw opportunity in a narrative form that for which the audience wasn't available. The and, and I can empathize because I mean I'm I'm. I overestimate the audience all the time. The audience is an idiot. With all due respect. Yeah, no, no, um, no. I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, Krigstein didn't understand why, for example, he was. He was Krigstein was, was the most roundly disliked artist he's had. He's it. Everybody hated Krigstein's stuff. It was too cold. It was too graphic. Um, and they all loved Williamson stuff and Woody stuff and, and Engels stuff. Um, In their defense, that's good stuff. Yes, that, yeah, my but, last but I, I also, but, but I also feel that as I've gotten older, I have no interest whatsoever in the science fiction books. And I look at the shock suspense stuff, the liberal hysteria comics, the crime suspense comics, uh, and the war books. Yeah, that, that stuff is still, it still holds up. You know, when I was talking to this 17-year-old kid who told me how much he loves Spawn, I explained that that's the sort of stuff I, I grew into when, when I got a little bit of 17. Yeah. Appreciate that. Non, Non-comic book related, though, is uh, you're a lover of jazz. I am. And uh, could you, off the top of your head, uh, top three jazz albums everybody should have? Yeah, I I mean, because there's this, I mean, you know, there's... Okay. The standards um, everybody knows. Right. Well, sure. yeah, I would say the Bland Webster Band, uh, the Ellington Band from 1943. This is in no order. Count Basie Decca's, which is the, the original Old Testament band. Um, and Birth of the Cool. Yeah, awesome. That's fabulous. That's fantastic. Anybody, anybody want to ask anybody? Well, no, you've covered so much in your career. Whether it was, you know, There's Star so much Wars. to cover. Yeah, Star Wars early on, an American flag. Like, what are your feelings? I was just rereading American flag last night, the first couple issues. It still holds up and is still prescient for things we're dealing with today. Like, how do you feel about that reflecting on it so many, like, however many years later? Like, have you gone back and looked at it recently? Or? When I do, I, I'm kind of embarrassed because I see all the flaws, I see all the chinks in it, I see all, all the all the graphic problems that I didn't solve, uh, all the all the, the glib writing. I mean, it, it's hard for me to get excited about it. And I mean, I, I look, I'm very proud of that work. Let me let me tell you. Um, and and I and I recognize the fact how influential the work was, but the work had no impact whatsoever on the audience. And the only impact it had on was the talent pool. I mean, it, I mean, it was a, a usually influential book in the way people wrote and drew. It opened doors for people in ways that they, they had no idea that doors needed to be opened for. And, um, and, it, and it, it was a, you know, and it was also funny. You know, I, 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 you know I, I'm a great believer in the Jack Cole theme of thrills, chills, and laughs. Now, now people look at it as if it was, I had somebody tell me that, that, that it was a cautionary tale, and I don't, 
I mean, I, I, was that the intention? I mean, no, I, it's I was, turned into no, one, unfortunately. No, for me, was, I mean, I, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Yeah. You know, and I was so blatantly outraged by the Reagan administration that I was, I was just, you know, I mean, things are shit, were shitty then, and, and, and they've gotten shittier. You know, which is yeah. kind of exciting. Unfortunately. You know, it's uh, here we are in Shitstorm City. And, um, and, and it, it just seemed to me that we were, we were heading toward a culture that, you know, when Andy Warhol said that about 15 minutes of fame, what it ignored was the fact that everybody wanted to be famous for an hour and that they were easily distracted by the need of attention. You know, uh, and I, I don't, I, I, I'm astonished more than I care to admit by my, my visits to what are perceived as cultural halcyons and wondering what the I watched all of WandaVision, not because I wanted to, I, was, I found it banal and pointless from the beginning, and overacted, and that, that Catherine Hahn is an actress I used to respect, um, but I watched it all the way because my editor, had taught, had, I have a joke waiting for you when it's done, I watched it all, he told me the joke, I remember neither the show nor the joke, um, and I, I was, when I saw the Batman, I was, I didn't quite understand what everybody was so wrought up about, either positively or negatively, it just struck me as a perfectly sturdy way to spend, way to spend an hour and a half, stretched over nearly three hours. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have an appetite for for fantasy and science fiction anymore. Despite the fact that I'm kind of dry watching at the at the arrival of season three of For All Mankind on the tenth, which is to me the archetype of cheating on reality. And science, I mean, I, I like I said about Tom Dish, you know, and you know most most superhero comic books are the science fiction stuff dressed up with spandex. Yeah. Your, your approach to superhero stuff is is, is very refreshing. I mean, it's refreshing because you take different takes. Like like Son of Superman, which is scripted, is is, is one version. And um, and the, the, the superhero, it basically shopped around the corner, but with superheroes. Right. Beautiful. But it's like, it's an aspect that you think other people would have thought of at some point. And, and you know, you know people talk about how groundbreaking you are and, and, and your work is, and, and, and I believe that's true, but I think it's just because you're telling stories that you think somebody else would have told it something. Look, I, I mean, when, when, when Conan was at Dark Horse, uh, yeah. they asked me to do a Conan story. And I came in with a story um, about King Conan, the old man, and how the his courtiers were about to replace his primary courtesan with a younger woman. And the story is about the older courtesan murdering a younger woman and pinning it on the, on the younger woman's boyfriend. And it struck me as a perfectly good Conan story. Yeah. And the guy, the Conan franchise, is like, this is really weird. I don't what, you know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Sword and sorcery talking about. Well, I mean, he had his he Howard had his, had his way of telling stories, and they were all kind of pretty straightforward. I think. But, well, I, I, I have you seen the whole wide world? Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's that's. I love that picture so, so much. So I wanted to, just really quickly because I and I, and I and I swear I'll leave you alone after this. I've been <laughs> I've been here all weekend. I, I've told my wife that basically what I've been doing is loitering at your table for two, two days straight. So I should feel stalked. That, that, yes, you or, should. Or, 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 or heard. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Or heard. It, it, I, yeah, I, that's I'm, right. I'm being seen. Well, well yeah. I have seen in those books uh, that I also love that you wrote the introduction to the first one of, and I will read the review of. He had a couple of shadow pieces in there, and uh, do you I know? I love that stuff. Was that they were fantastic? Was that from a pitch or? No, no, no. Alex is a guy who was always available to be betrayed by people he loved. You know, if it wasn't Noel Sickles, it was Robert Fawcett. You know, if it wasn't Kenneth, it was Warren, it was Warren Tyler. And the watermark of Robert Fawcett's career uh, was done for Collier's in the early 1951-52. He did 12 illustrations for 12 new Sherlock Holmes stories, ostensibly written by Adrian Conan Doyle, Alec Osborne, but actually written by, by I believe it was George Harmon Cox wrote, wrote them. Okay. And they are astonishing illustrations. They're, they're brilliant. I mean, they, they, they are... They're, they're pivotal. They, they are, they are they're landmark work in narrative illustration. And those shadow pieces are very much of a piece 
of that attempt at narrative illustration. Okay. okay. And, and yeah, and they were there. It was literally a shadow. It was just such a such a striking graphic. There were two or three in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're really nice pictures. They're beautiful. Right. They're, they're astonishing. Well, I think we've soaked up enough of your time, and I want to get a couple of autographs. So um, I thank you, and I appreciate well, all you, your man. work. No I'm problem. Most grateful. Yeah. Thank all of you guys. Yeah, well, thank you. You were, you were fun to play with. Yeah. And you were reasonably well behaved. I'm glad, and I'm glad you never get sick of people telling you. All right. Well, that's the end of the uh, Last Comic Shop podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed all of our fantastic interviews that we got here at Three Rivers Con. And yes, we will have more awesome stuff next week with our kind of like a regular show. You know, a book review and some recommendations for you. Do we have recommendations? Do you have a recommendation for us, Chad? My recommendation is to seek out any cons in your area. I know the world has been crazy for the last two years plus, but it really has been great getting back. And Three Rivers Con was great because it wasn't overcrowded. There was enough room to have your space and feel safe. There's so many great friendly comic creators out there, so many people selling prints and selling great books. But uh, after the past couple of years of craziness, I think it really is great to get out there and be part of the comic community in places like this. So go find a con and uh, get back out there. Yeah, that's a great recommendation, Chad. And uh, as always, make sure that you check out us every single week over at the Last Comic Shop Podcast. You can find that awesome website over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a different place where you can find all of these awesome evergreen reviews. You like Star Wars? We got Star Wars comics that we cover. You like Doctor Strange? We did that. You like uh, Ms. Marvel? We did that this year. So yeah, we got all kinds of stuff. As well as YouTube, where we've got terrific uh, interviews with uh, comic book creators. We do awesome stuff through our uh, quick hits program where we uh, try to promote uh, kickstarters and all kinds of stuff as well as comic book unboxings and action figures and stuff yeah and where else can they find us chad we're on the social media at last comic shop on twitter and instagram but i think we need to get going they're they're pulling up chairs that's right they're pulling up chairs we got jedi training coming into this room being invaded by jedi exactly we want to leave now these are not the droids you're looking for anyways make sure that you uh, come back next week i was those with most andy larson i was joined by chad smith as well as wonderful mikey wood and uh, we hope that you stay safe, stay con-worthy, and remember that you can always find friends at cons. What? That's why you can, you can find Ron friends at cons sometimes. I hope he doesn't kill us for all these friends puns. He's friends heard them be all friends. before he told me. <laughs>